Now, what are the Beatitudes? You know, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian family. And uh, reading the Bible and going to church was just, just a part of my routine. But whenever I read the Beatitudes, you know, the, the, the blessed, I, I usually came away from those passages confused. What was Jesus trying to teach us? Was he talking about a code of ethics that we should now embrace? Was he talking about a future kingdom that would sometime, somewhere come to pass? You know, and so those questions continue to linger in my mind. And for the longest time, Jesus, when he spoke those words, it seemed to me like some kind of mysterious Eastern mystic, you know, like a guru. And it was a way of life that seemed to me difficult to understand or just plain unattainable. And in verse 2, if you look at Matthew 5, 2, it, the Greek literally says this, He opened his mouth and began teaching them, saying... And that served to, you know, even detect, it's like slow motion. He opened his mouth and began, why the stylistic, why the slow motion stuff going on? What what is this all about? And this served to kind of help to detach that passage for me from reality. But the Beatitudes today, what it has to say for us, is very real. The Beatitudes comes from the Latin word that means blessings. And that's certainly what Jesus is talking about here. But the types of character traits and behavior that Jesus called blessed are certainly not what our world would call worthy of note. In fact, what Jesus is disclosing to his disciples is so earth-shattering for them, so defining, so different from their current reality up to that point that it would literally rock their world. Now, I was thinking about how can I illustrate this. And I came, up with, I came across this, uh, this, this movie, actually, and I'm just going to show you a clip of that movie right now, if you guys could roll that. Thank you. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room, you can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? that you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. 
This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Does anybody know where that movie comes from? Where the clip comes from? Yeah. How many of you have not seen The Matrix? Okay. It's like it, it's a cult classic of our time. Uh, and uh, in this part of the movie, uh, Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, is talking to Neo, the one you know Keanu Reeves, and explaining to him that the ma- what the Matrix is. He explains that you've come to me because you feel like there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. And then he says, the matrix is everywhere, even here in this room. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. And then he explains that Neo is actually a slave. And as the movie progresses, we learn the awful truth that Neo and millions of other human beings... I'm sorry if I'm going to spoil the movie for some of you who haven't watched this, okay? But basically what happens is they're hooked up to machines... And like in some post-apocalyptic nightmare, uh, the machines are using him and millions of other human beings as batteries to power themselves. So while the humans' minds interact with each other in a totally computer-generated world, their bodies are slaves to the machines. A fact that Neo was about to find out because he took the red pill. Why did I choose this clip? What has this got to do with Jesus and the Beatitudes or anything? Was it because I like Kung Fu sci-fi movies? No. Was it because I, I've always wanted to use this as part of my sermon? Maybe. But it was because when Jesus opened his mouth and began teaching, he was talking about a new kingdom. The kingdom of heaven that was about to break into the kingdoms of this world. And the effect of the things that he was saying to his disciples was very much the same as someone telling you that everything that you believe in is wrong. Let me tell you the truth. In the next couple of weeks, uh, Carol and some of our pastoral staff will be seeing how Jesus says things like this. You have heard it said that, but I say. And then he challenges the way that the disciples and the Pharisees thought about the law each time. He challenges... But he clarifies the spirit behind the law on things like friendship, revenge, sexual purity. These are things that he talks about. Through the Beatitudes, Jesus was no less than challenging the way of thought of the disciples about the world and its culture and telling them, but this is the culture of the new kingdom I am bringing. And this, is, this was nothing less than earth-shattering news to them. I imagine that they couldn't even believe their ears about some of the things that he was saying. This is the intention of the Sermon on the Mount. God put Moses on a mountainside and gave him the law. And now Jesus 
brings his disciples onto a mountain and opens his mouth and clarifies the law. So I want us to know this. When we look at this passage, the Sermon on the Mount, we see that this is what happens when we allow Jesus Christ to break into our lives and submit completely to him. We begin to live our lives the way that he envisioned us to live it. And he says to us, if you turn to me, the rule of this world and the flesh will be broken. And God's kingdom is going to break into your life. And everything, everything is going to change. So how do we access this kingdom? The first three Beatitudes, the blessings that, that Jesus talks about, tells us about the inner character traits that each of us need to have if we're really citizens of the kingdom. The first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is God asking us to be poor? In Hebrew, there's actually not much difference between the word poor and poor in spirit. And I think that that's appropriate because, you know, when someone is poor, they usually are poor in spirit as well. You see, when we're poor in spirit, we realize that we just don't have the resources, resources to get there on our own. We need to depend on someone. And so when we're poor in spirit, we depend on God. We need a Savior to help us to get there. And so being poor in spirit means having a humility of spirit that knows that we are utterly dependent on God. We cannot do this on our own. Now, this was revolutionary to the disciples because, you see, the world as we know it, I'm sure you'd agree with me, is more concerned with success. Well, how do we become masters of our own destiny? How do we become independent? But God calls us to be dependent on Him. Does poor in spirit describe you? Think about that. Another second beatitude, second characteristic that we're supposed to have Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I find this really interesting because, you know, in some translations of the Bible, instead of the word blessed, it actually uses the word happy. So Jesus says, happy are those who mourn. Does that make sense to you? You know, it reminds me of this example. You know, in Singapore and in some Asian countries, you can actually hire people to mourn at your funeral. Yeah, you can actually pay them, and, and what they do is they put up a show. You know, the actual, actual tears are coming down, and they fling themselves in the coffin and all that kind of stuff. They're called professional mourners. Now, I can understand if Jesus was saying that they would be happy because they're getting paid at the end of it. But Jesus was not talking about that. Jesus was talking about an inner characteristic that we as citizens of the kingdom need to have. We mourn because we have imperfect lives. And we also see the effect of these imperfect lives on others. We know that we're not living the way that we're supposed to live. We mourn because of things that we've not done. It is this understanding only that leads us to the foot of the cross. And it causes us to confess our sins to the one who can forgive us. Another word for this morning is remorse, without which we will never come before the cross. We also mourn the effects of evil that we see in this world, the injustice that we see all around us. When Morpheus was saying, you know that there's something wrong in the world, that's what we see in our world today, isn't it? You know, what we had here at Lake, um, uh, the Community Foundation hosted a skills summer program for kids in the community. Uh, and many of them could not go to summer program because 
many of the schools, public schools in our community did not have summer programs because of the lack of the budget. So we had them, these kids, come onto the campus. They called it the Skills Summer Program. And I'm told, Myra was telling me as part of our little uh, sermon group, that many of the kids, many of these kids come from broken homes, subject to gang violence and even themselves being part of gangs. Some of them really in deep in the hold of drugs and marijuana. Do these things break your heart? Do they cause you to mourn? It reminds me of uh, the founder of World Vision who said this. He said, let my heart be broken by the things that break God's heart. Does that describe you? Do we really mourn for these things? Or have we become so desensitized we've allowed the world to desensitize us? And I want to say something else as well. If you're mourning for something that you just have not gotten a let go of, Maybe God is asking you today that you need to give it to Him. See, we don't get the comfort from God. because He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But God will only comfort those who give those things that we mourn to Him. So we need to be in the position where we can receive His comfort. The third inner characteristic that we're supposed to have is meekness. Yes, meekness. If somebody were to, that you know were to come up to you, um, would they describe you as, you know, you're a meek person? I don't know if anybody would be able to say that about me. You know, look at this world. No self-help book in this world will tell you this. Uh, they might tell you that might is right. You know, you've got to be self-assertive. How do we become personally prosperous? How do we become successful? Don't let anyone walk all over you. But Jesus comes to us. And he shows us that in the Bible, meekness is not weakness. Moses and Jesus are perfect examples of this. And so we see from the Bible that meekness is using whatever influence that God has given us, not for our own personal gain, but for others. It's a turning away from ourself and a commitment to use whatever God gives us for others. Uh, John Dixon, who wrote the book, Humilitas, a lost key to life, love, and leadership, says that humility is holding power loosely for the sake of others. Doesn't that describe Jesus Christ? Philippians 2 tells us that he was in the very nature of God, and yet he didn't grasp equality with God as something for himself. But he became humble even to death, to death on the cross. You know, John Dixon also details in his book how humility was an undesirable uh, trait in Western culture. It was only an attribute for the weak, and it was looked down upon. But somewhere around the first century A.D., there was a humility revolution. And do you know why? Because of Jesus Christ and because of his humility. Humility is power restrained for the sake of others. And I love this quote from his book. People with humility don't think less of themselves. They just think of themselves less. And so, do we have these character traits is what Jesus is asking us. Because a citizen of the kingdom of heaven has these things. There are inequalities, all completely countercultural, as you can see. There are values that this world does not possess, nor does it actually promote. So as we carry on further into the Beatitudes, we see that when these inner traits are true of us, they translate, they flow out of us into 
longings, inner longings for something. And that's what the next four Beatitudes are talking about. Now let's look at the first. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, Jesus uses strong language here to let us know how strong our longing should be. Hunger and thirst. Most of us don't like to hunger and thirst for anything, certainly not for very long. I, I certainly don't. Uh, my flesh cries out whenever I try and fast, even for a day. And in this world, you know, we're, we have access to food and water, we, you know, and in this country, in such a way that we often take it for granted. But the Bible is full of images that talk about the deer panting for water. And the disciples lived in a desert community, and so they knew what it was to hunger and thirst for something. Jesus is saying the person with God's heart has a passion for personal righteousness and holiness. And he's saying that when he is our Lord, we long deeply for the wrongs in society to be made right. So at its heart, this fourth beatitude then is a desire for God's rule and reign to come in its fullness, not just inside us, but in the world that we see around us. So I'm going to put it in my own words in this way. My heart's desire is that those things wrong in my life and in this world will be made right. It makes me think of the more than 1,200 homeless people who are on our streets in Pasadena, right outside our door right now, many of whom are children. In fact, recent surveys have shown that many of these homeless, uh, that, excuse me, that the increase in the number of homeless people is attributed to the increase in the number of children who are homeless on our streets. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? If you have a longing for that, do something about the injustice of this world, take comfort, because Jesus is saying, you're in a good place. Uh, Our community foundation is actively involved in making wrong things right in our community, and after this message, you're going to have the opportunity to hear from uh, Myra about what we can do as a community of concern to help make these things right. Longing number two, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, this second longing once again flows from the first Beatitudes because it's a, in, a, in, in a disposition that acknowledges I am completely impoverished spiritually. My only hope is mercy. When I have fallen fully on the mercy of God and have received it, my longing is to have others experience it too. The Bible's message is those who have been forgiven, forgive. Those who have received mercy, long to show mercy. It reminds me of the time when Jesus was sitting in a Pharisee's home and then a woman comes in and the only thing that we know about her is that she's described as a sinner. She breaks an alabaster jar on his feet and then as as her tears roll down her face, she wipes Jesus' feet with her tears and with her hair. You know what Jesus' reaction to that was? He said words to this, to, these, to this effect. Those who are forgiven much, forgive much in return. Now, she was trapped in a godless and hopeless way of life, and her actions showed that she knew that only God could forgive her and deliver her from that way of life. And she received it that day. These are the kind of people that Jesus has compassion on. Do we also show that same compassion? All of us have sinned before God. All of us have received mercy from Him through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and we are admonished to give mercy to others. In this world, you can see how this is completely countercultural. When somebody wrongs us, we lash back. The one who, against whom we lash, he lashes and strikes us back, but harsher and harder. And so this leads to an ever-escalating cycle of violence. Do you know what the only way to stop that cycle is? It was someone to step in and receive a blow and offer forgiveness in return. And this is what Jesus did. And it's what he expects us to do. Kingdom, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This is not easy. And like I said, it's all completely countercultural. But the only thing that makes this possible is for us to trust God and for allow his spirit to use us to understand that we're truly poor in spirit, that we mourn first for our own sin before we criticize someone else for his. The one who is merciful has been shocked by receiving mercy personally from God. And so it's only natural to, to give that mercy to someone else. And so I would put this uh, longing in, in these words. My heart's desire is to show the same kind of mercy to others that God shows to me. Longing number three, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When you are impure in heart, I know that this is a kind of a beatitude that's often taken uh, out of context. But it, what it means is this. You see, for the first century Jews, the seat of their whole being was their heart. And so if you have a heart for God that's pure, you are focused on pleasing Him. The singleness of our whole beings is to seek and honor God. And that is what happens when we genuinely have been born again. Hebrews 12:14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It reminds me of also this psalm, Psalm 27, which says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. When we become born again, we're alive to God and we enter the kingdom of God and we begin to be freed from this, the reign of the world, the matrix, so to speak. And the single-minded focus of our entire beings is to know God and to do His will. The one fear that we should have is to displease Him. So that should be the longing of our hearts when we are pure in heart. And so for this longing, I would put it in these words. My heart's desire is that I will be single-minded in seeking to please God rather than myself, anyone else, or anything else. Longing for, blessed are the peacemakers. What are peacemakers? Well, there are those who see divisions in relationships, you know, all relationships, and they long for those relationships to be healed. As we look around our world today, we see broken relationships everywhere. Father and son, husband and wife. The one who longs for peace to be made will weep because so many relationships are broken all around us. But we'll make ourselves available to help stand in the gap for these relationships. Uh, Joyce uh, was uh, saying earlier that I was a corporate litigation attorney. And I can tell you that uh, I often fought fought all out for my client's side of the argument to win the day. And I can tell you that it's often 
very often easier to be on one side of the fence or another rather than being in the middle of two warring parties. Yet, while I was practicing law, I found it liberating, just positively liberating, when two warring factions were able to sit down and sort out their differences amicably and settle. It was a liberating experience to no longer be needed. That's what peacemakers do. The peacemaker is often lonely because he cannot take sides. He risks being viewed by all parties as disloyal. The peacemaker has to be courageous and assertive because, let me tell you something, they say time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't if you don't change. Time alone generally does not heal broken relationships. To the contrary, it can foster bitterness. Angry people hold on to anger many times. And peacemakers come in. They grab hold of both sides and they don't let go. The peacemaker often works at the risk of losing friendships and personal reputation, but it's a genuine act of biblical love. It's sacrificing self to bring God's peace to others. Those of us who are poor in spirit, those of us who mourn because we know it took Jesus' death to make peace possible between us and God, know how beautiful it is to have someone we have been broken from say to us, I love you and I'm ready to start all over again with you. So we seek to lead others to peace. Jesus says that peacemaking begins with our inner longings. And so I would say this beatitude in these words. My heart's desire is that the broken relationships I know of will be reconciled. Even more that God will use me to do his healing work. I'm going to conclude now with just some uh, words uh, to kind of set the context for what's about to, as, as we continue and talk about that as a kingdom citizen, it's not easy to do what Jesus is asking us to do. Um, very often we're persecuted, and that's what uh, Carol and, and some of the pastors are going to be talking about next weekend, that when we're in his kingdom, we can expect to face persecution, but to take courage because God is with us. Many uh, people who have gone before us, Christians, believers who have gone before us, have used Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, as inspiration for how to live their lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous Christian theologian, uh, wrote his book, The Cost of Discipleship, based on these Beatitudes. And in Germany, a pastor by the name of Reverend Helmut Thielich would preach in his church for three years based on this passage to help his church understand what had happened during World War II. Because he kept on preaching this, we have been following the wrong kingdom, we have been following the wrong leader. We need a different ruler, a different kingdom in our lives. Jesus is addressing the same problem that has plagued the world since Genesis 3. We knew God, but we sinned. We turned away from Him. And now, there is something wrong with the world. There's all sorts of darkness in the world. But God had a plan. He sent a rescuer for us, the Messiah. He put Moses on a mountainside and gave him the law. But although the law was perfect, Nobody had the strength to live that way. And so Jesus came. Jesus came and on the side of a mountain, he gave his interpretation of the law. And he revealed the spirit 
behind it. Do you know that this passage is also based on Isaiah 61, which is what Jesus said when he entered the temple and preached for the first time. Because Isaiah 61 speaks of him. And let me read it to you. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Jesus was talking about you if you believe in Him. He says, if you turn to me, the rule of the world and the flesh will be broken and God's kingdom is going to break into your life. And everything is going to change. But you might be saying, hey, Pastor Walter, but it's impossible to live this way, the way that Jesus tells us to live. Nobody can live it this way. Maybe it's not for us. But Jesus is teaching us this. Begin now with the end in mind. Between now and when God's kingdom comes to pass, a lot of work needs to be done. But you can take it one step at a time with Him. It just starts right now. He gives us his word, his spirit, and each other, look around at each other, to help us walk through this thing. And so that's what Jesus is saying for you to be encouraged today. So, just as in the matrix, we are presented with a choice every day. If we take the blue pill, we stay where we are. We can go to sleep and wake up in our warm beds every day and pretend that everything is okay while we compromise each day with the world. We take the red pill, we get to enter into his kingdom and experience the blessings that God would have us to experience. Some of these blessings are for now, some later. But whatever the case, God has promised that you will be blessed if you do his will. Once again, Bob Pierce said, Let my heart be broken by the things that break God's heart. Let that be our prayer today for His glory. Amen.